Welcome to episode 84 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people that have tried to make your life a little bit better. And that one this week is Ali Hill. Ali is the founder of Yoga Haven, which is a chain of yoga studios around the UK. And she's the director of their teacher training, which has taught over 1,200 yoga teachers who are now teaching yoga across the globe. Ali began teaching full-time in 2001, was one of the first UK ambassadors for Lululemon. She's raised lots of money uh, for charity, climbing Kilimanjaro. She's ran marathons. She rescues dogs. She owns a health food shop in Brighton. And her most important role today, in her own words, is being mother to her son, Ziggy. Uh, Ali is a unique character, uh, a badass in the yoga world, and actually was one of my first teachers uh, of hot yoga many 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 years ago uh, so yeah i've known ali for a very long time she's awesome and has been there to support me through bits and pieces on my personal and uh and uh, yoga journey and it was really lovely to reconnect i haven't actually chatted to her for a little while but yeah what you'll learn in this episode the difference between being a dog mom and a baby mom about ali's animal activist background and her expectations with kids Ali's unusual story of her journey into yoga, how Ali built her successful chain of yoga studios whilst balancing business aims with yoga philosophy, the importance of community, especially in landmark moments in your life, how long you should wait before doing a yoga teacher training, Ali's remarkable journey through breast cancer, surrogacy and motherhood, and then parenting advice uh, from a mother of a toddler to us, <laughs> uh, parents to a little boy, Sonny, uh, and how many years of yoga can affect your life. This episode is awesome. Ali is awesome. Uh, you enjoy the lesson. But before we fully kick off, we talk a lot in this episode about yoga education. So there's a few options for you. Uh, you can train with Ali uh, via Yoga Haven. Just Google that, Yoga Haven Teacher Training, and you can become a teacher there. Also, I'm running a training with Mia Togo, Michael Wong, well, and me, that begins in May. Uh, it's a week or well, five days in London, then some online stuff, and then a week in Spain in September. So if you had to head to adamhustler.com, you can find out more. And Holly always has various uh, sound healing trainings running. She has one in London, I believe, at Tri Yoga. Plus, she's always doing them online, some live, some pre-recorded. So head to hollyhustler.com if you want to find out more about that. And as always, you can get our favorite yoga mats from Lifeform with 10% off, code, all caps, HUSTLER10, H-U-S-L-E-R-10. You can get the same percentage off Viva Barefoot, which I'm getting back into lately. I love them. I just got their new boots and I've been trekking the Surrey Hills. And it's just really nice to be able to feel the earth almost under my feet, but with a boot on uh yeah code adam hustler all caps vb gets you 10 percent off adam hustler vb and then also my favorite chilled out casual clothes at the moment is from colorful standard and code adam hustler cs10 will get you 10 percent off those so loads of deals a yoga mat awesome barefoot shoes and chilled out non-branded clothes for you now you can finally enjoy the episode oh but one more thing if you do enjoy what we do, please spread the word, spread the love, uh, give us a rating. It really means a lot. We put a huge amount into this, so please do share. And we are starting to put episodes on YouTube as well. So Govin Das is on there. Ali's episode will be on very soon. And I actually have recorded probably the last 20 episodes. So I'm going to edit them and put them on as well in the coming weeks. Honestly unbalanced. I would love to know the difference between bringing up a dog and uh, and a baby? Because you've had both. I, I know the dog came into your life in unexpected I circumstances. I still have both. <laughs> like, let me tell you, my dog is, he's actually asleep uh, in the bed um, in my room looking at me. Well, not looking at me because his eyes are closed, but I'm looking at him. Um, yeah, he's my, he was my, my fur baby, wasn't he? Because I actually didn't think I was going to be a mum because of, we can talk about that, but my journey to motherhood was long, and he was my he was my fur baby, and he's like my beloved, and I absolutely adore him. 
And um, having a baby at the same time is very, very challenging. Don't do it, is my <laughs> advice to anyone listening. Right, so because Ziggy's a toddler and um, he just wants to throw everything at everyone, including the dog. And Dexter is a bit reactive, not to Ziggy, but he he I mean, you shouldn't trust any dog completely and i certainly don't trust dexter 100 percent with anyone including my little one so it's like um ziggy's either throwing something at him or chasing him trying to pull his tail or wanting to cuddle him <laughs> and you're trying to manage it both and it's honestly insane in ta- at times so yeah just don't get a dog right now guys yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely not. not. Like, Holly, wants, Holly wants a cat at the moment. Yeah, but... I was thinking that'd be a happy a medium. But no, they but... kind of just look after themselves, but don't they? they kill everything. Meow. Like, they're the biggest... Yeah, you like that. You're, you're into animals. Uh, I am into animals, <laughs> man. But I'm cats, into animals. cats are the biggest killers. Like, it's, I read a ridiculous well, if statistic. if you've got a mouse problem, then but, they're perfect, aren't they? But also newts and little birds. I think the average mm. country cat, I'm going to butcher the numbers, kills like 200 animals a year. And the average city cat is maybe a hundred, but mm. they are they are murdering creatures. So, and I just I would feel guilty keeping it inside. We could get one of those ugly, uh, what are the the inside ones called without any hair. They don't go outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the funny looking things. I think I still think they <laughs> want to go outside. Sit on a throne, sit on a cushion, and there you go. Yeah. Are you? Are you? I presume we're going on lots of different tangents. But on the on mm. the topic of animals, are you are, mm. are you still vegan? Are you still vegan? I'm not 100% vegan. I, I'm kind of I go through phases with my veganism, and at the moment I'm not. But I, at home I am. But when I'm out, I kind of relax. I don't do I don't do dairy actually. But sometimes I eat fish. Yeah. That was that was part of in, in terms of teaching yoga philosophy on trainings on your trainings. Mm. Yes. I saw that you started to incorporate yeah. that side of things in post. Was it post Jiva Mukti? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I guess when did you do my training? Way, way before that and years ago i think maybe more Ten. maybe more yeah <laughs> oh okay guess how old yoga haven is now have a stab in the dark at how old yoga haven maybe is. 17 years 20 oh my god uh, oh, right, this year it's my phone oh, yeah 20 oh happy anniversary yeah. august 2023 is 20 years can 20 you believe years. that that's amazing that's impressive. Isn't that nuts? Let's talk about the history of Yoga Haven in a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk a little so, bit about hymns, uh, the animals. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose I um, have always been like, I don't eat meat. I've never really eaten meat. And I've gone through periods of eating fish. And I'm really wholeheartedly against the dairy industry, to be honest. Um, and I suppose I went on my Jiva Mukti training and it affirmed because they're they're animal activists, aren't they? They're mm. environmental activists. Sharon uh, Gannon, David Live, they're really inspiring um, people. And their training is very much, um, they deliver a lot of that, uh, educate us a lot on, on a lot of those topics, environmental, uh, animal uh, farming, uh, industrial farming. And I suppose because I already had that in me in my nature that I never really wanted to eat meat it I, I gravitated towards it and then my trainings evolved a little bit in the Jiva Mukti way like we started bringing in assists because prior to that we didn't teach assists and then because the Jiva Mukti teacher teacher training is very much assist driven I started to incorporate a bit of that um, environmental topics and some of the you know non-violence mm-hmm. so all things living and, and it's it's just to do your best and your best is good enough, whatever your best is. Mm. Nice. Kind of, you know, because my, my I guess as I, the trainings have evolved and as a human being, I have evolved. And what's important to me is to try and like educate and to share and to try and get the students on the teacher training to make more conscious choices for, you know, the, the world that we live in and for everyone the, that we inhabit the earth with basically mm. so there's definitely a stronger philosophical um delivery compared to maybe when you came on the training i'd say and uh, what, recording in progress yeah you know, what's your thoughts on then like your little baby yeah I was like, and that. i just wonder like formula yes, like, are there really, are really there vegan formulas uh, we've gone so, goat's milk 
Okay, so mm. I was going goat's milk because you know I'm not I'm not like fully vegan, and I and I like I said I go through phases of my life where you know it changes. It's always in flux, and I don't really want to label myself as anything mm. necessarily. But with Siggy, it's been really really interesting because I thought right goat's milk, and he's allergic to dairy. And I was like, of course, I've got a child that's allergic to dairy. <laughs> wow. Of course I have. But he has quite moderately severe eczema. And he's a, he has lots of allergies, not just dairy, but lots of different things. Dog hair, dog dander being a main one. Can you believe oh, it, no. guys? I'm like, my child's aller allergic to my dog. Um, dust mites, lots of things and f some food things. And he is the fussiest eater. And all he lives on is like fish fingers and chips. And I was like, <laughs> I can't just feed him fish fingers and chips. So I've noticed when he goes to nursery, because I, I just tell them what the allergies are, but I don't restrict it to being vegan or vegetarian or anything, right? I'm like, these are the allergies and then give him anything on top. And I've noticed he seems to like lamb and Ooh. beef. So <laughs> re I know, which is crazy for me because we've gone out for Sunday roast dinners recently and you know there's a lot of things that I can't give him and the one thing that I know he likes is lamb so I've actually I've been giving him like little children's portions of lamb roast dinner and he gobbles it up and I'm oh. sitting there thinking do you know that that's actually like your little bar bar sheep that you have in your bed <laughs> but when he's older like he can make his choices can't yeah. he and I, I don't want to restrict <laughs> when he when he when are you going to deliver that message of that you like this is lamb you're eating the lamb at what age is he ready to learn that <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know i'm already saying like oh bar bar like you know i'm trying to make those connections bar bar dead but, yeah oh wow Barbara, it's, yeah it's really hard isn't it but i guess i think when you have really kids hard. you know we're new parents but everything else goes out the window as your mm. priority is you want that child to be safe and happy and healthy and whatever they're going to eat they just need to eat it <laughs> yeah and i don't want i don't want him just to be eating fish fingers and chips for crying out loud you know so if that means that one of the things he enjoys and that he will eat is a bit of lamb right now that's okay you know, and I'm just relaxing my my views around it for him to try and, you know, help him be healthy and happy. You, you've been influenced by loads of yoga styles along the way, haven't you? Because I know you've done Forest, mm. Jiva Mukti, Bikram. Yes. Am, am I missing any? I mean, uh, I did like yoga therapy training years and years ago as well. I did antenatal. Yeah, I've kind of done a lot of it. The forest training, actually, I didn't do the full teacher training. I did like a 10-day teacher's immersion like years ago. Yeah. They're quite emotional places, aren't they? I've never been to a forest yoga event. But I mean, I'm... look, I like forest wasn't for me, just wasn't for me for whatever. It didn't, I didn't resonate with me, but the Jiva Mukti really did, probably because they're a little rock and roll, Sharon and mm -hmm. David, and plus they've got this you know, this environmental passion and care for the planet and everything living in it. And that really resonated with me. So, and of course, Bikram was my very, very, very first teacher training back in 2001, yeah. believe it or not. So have you seen the Netflix documentary, Bikram, yes. Predator? Oh my right. gosh, yeah. So I wasn't in that because I was, you know, um, my time was before all of that stuff but I was definitely you know in the hot pants and the bra tops sweating with like 200 people on my teacher training I mean oh. I had a great time was a great time was it I know you're very much into your exercise and keeping fit so was it that that uh, that got you into the yoga world as it were and took you to your first yoga class uh so my first ever um you know, I lived in Japan for like mm. five years. Mm -hmm. I was a pole dancer <gasps> in my 20s. Oh, I did not yeah, read man. that did anywhere. You know that, we, we didn't come across I, this I, in I, our research. I think I knew your like, Japan era was debauched. I didn't know you were a pole dancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a pole, so so my, my journey started as a pole dancer in Japan for five years. Yeah. I mean, Amazing. this is going back some time. So this would have been like mid-90s. And that's what I did. And I, I got all, you know, I did really well and had a very hedonistic lifestyle and a lot of money because in Japan at the time, I, you know, I'm very blonde, I'm very fair, I'm very petite. They really, they really liked that. <laughs> so I did really, really, really well. I was like cashing in 
And it was a time where there wasn't loads and loads of foreigners. It was the first pole dancing club in Osaka, which was the second or third biggest city in Japan. And it was the first pole dancing club. And this was this was uh, for foreign women, basically, like gaijin, you know, the, the alien women. So there we were, the alien women, kept cashing in on, um, yeah, the, the 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 trade as it were at the time and it, it was so much fun guys it was just so much fun looking back on my life now it was like very hedonistic very fun lots of partying like it was it was good it gave me independence taught me about my sexuality and um I had a really really empowering wonderful time doing it and obviously that was before it became like a trendy thing which you know I think even I don't know, 10 years later, Kate Moss was doing pole dancing classes. It became mainstream, didn't it? Yeah. But this was like pre-mainstream. So there's big bucks to be earned. And actually with that money, that's that that money paid for me and my partner Dallas at the time to go on the Bikram yoga training. And anyway, so um, when I was in Japan, the girl who I worked with used to do yoga like in the staff room before we were getting ready for work and I'd be like what are you doing she's like oh I'm doing yoga she was from Brazil and I was like can I join in and she used to sort of try and teach me a little bit and I liked it and then when I left Japan I went to live in Australia in Sydney um I went to my first like proper yoga class and I knew I wanted to be a teacher and like instantly I was like I'm going to teach this I just knew and then I started practicing it every single day then I moved to Vancouver nomadic I've lived everywhere mm -hmm. and then I found around the corner from my house I lived in a place called Kitsilano by the beach in Vancouver and it was by the very first ever Lululemon shop little Lululemon shop and the first ever Bikram yoga studio in the whole of Canada and I went to a class and I came out and I was like what the hell was that <laughs> like it was like small carpets on the floor no showers sweating like you look like you come out of the shower and um, I absolutely fell in love with it. I loved it, the, the you know, the mental benefit that you get from it and all of that. And then I went on his training three months later, and that was my my first first teacher training, which I also really enjoyed. Japan, yeah, Japan's in a funny place now, isn't it? In terms of like functioning societies, every everyone there is old and everyone has left. And, they, yeah. and I think that's part of it. Although there is, they like the novelty of the foreigner. I, from what yeah. I understand, in the culture, you'll always be the foreigner. Yes, and that's so the people guy, don't. Gaijin means alien. So people don't move yeah. there, meaning that they've got this like ridiculous aging population now. So that was yeah. Big Fun was your first encounter, mm. and that did that make that did that inspire you to create Yoga Haven, the the hot the so, hot side of things. Um, I definitely love the heat. I'm like someone that's always cold, like your log fire looks very appealing right mm. now. I am as well. And uh, I'm always someone that wants to be warm. And so I did love the heat, and but I, I didn't like the dogma attached to yeah. Bikram. And I spent a lot of money on that training, had a great time, came out of the teacher training, and I was offered 12 classes a week on the timetable the next day literally after wow. two and a half months oh, of wow. being in LA with Bikram because it was like two and a half month training came back 12 classes a week on the timetable so you know they needed they needed teachers but I only taught it for six months and then I went to Hong Kong to live in Hong Kong <laughs> and taught it pure yoga which are the big Asian brand they were just starting out and I worked um, for them they had a couple of sites in central Hong Kong and Causeway Bay and it was there that I was like, I'm going to have a yoga studio. I want my own yoga studio. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to get it because I didn't have a lot of money because I used a lot of my savings. And um, and I decided, well, I'll probably need to be back in the UK to do it because um, I was going to think about raising some funds. And I came back to the UK and, you know, well, ads, you're from Birmingham and I grew up in Worcestershire and Wolverhampton, lived in Birmingham. And I went back to Wolverhampton, was living with my friend and I was like, I want to open a yoga studio. And I'd been in, living in all of these amazing places around the world, by the sea. A lot of the time I was by the sea and loved, you know, I'm a water baby. I love the ocean. And I was like, where am I going to live? And she said, well, I think you'd like 
Brighton because Fat Boy Slim does really great beach parties. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds good. And it's by the sea and it's quite bohemian. So I decided to come to Brighton and that was in um, 2003. But I opened the first Yoga Haven. Yeah. And how hard is it? Because nowadays getting mm. the funds for Yoga Studio would be really hard unless you're doing something massive and you've got big backing, it would be almost impossible. Like, how did you manage to get it as a... Yeah, as, as a Bitcoin teaching a pole dancer, like how did you persuade yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. to give you money? Yeah, with yeah. not many savings left. So the first thing I did was went to my parents and was like, uh, you know, you haven't seen me for 10 years. And this was like, I think we were just getting mobile phones when I f- first came back to the UK. So they hadn't really heard from me. It was like pre-mobile phone, pre-email. So I used to, to, to contact them, which would be every three months, I'd have to buy an expensive calling card and go to a hotel and call them. So they never really heard from me. <laughs> this is the thing when your parents, your children will just go and you have to let them be free and hope, you know. Oh, anyway, but we were not as connected, were we, back then, which was also quite lovely in some ways. Um but I came back and I said, oh, can you remortgage your house and give me some money? And they were like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And my dad, you know, he was a well-known poker player. And he was just like, always, like, you've got to do your own thing, kid. Just go and do your own thing. So I, I tried to get a loan from the bank. They were like, no, because you don't own a thing. The only thing I owned, as soon as I came back, I bought a 1974 Mini Cooper and that was it was 500 pounds from a little old lady called Betty oh. nobody had ever sat in the back seat and i named the car Betty after her and um and that's all i had a little 500 pound really cool mini cooper and the bank were like anyway no way and then i i you know i very determined personality and i was like i'm going to find a way i'm going to find a way and i found a scheme called the loan guarantee scheme that the government were running where basically i borrowed only £30,000, only £30,000. And the bank um, is guaranteed, guaranteed by the government. So the bank gave me the money. I had £10,000 left in my savings and I opened the first yoga haven on £40,000, which would not put a cleaning cupboard in a place now. You know what I mean? It doesn't buy <laughs> you anything. <laughs> and and that's how it began, really. And it was sort of spit and sawdust. I taught loads of the classes. Um with my my friend at the time, my partner at the time, Dallas, did all the reception, did all the marketing, did all the cleaning, did everything. And I just wanted one studio and I didn't ever have a plan ever for it to grow. Like that was never the plan that I had a very, very basic business plan. And I um, it was just all about having one site to practice in, to teach in. And, and yeah, I never looked beyond that. I also, probably because I had the poker player father, never ever ever thought that i would fail mm. and I, I take risks <laughs> and i don't have the fear factor wow which is why i guess that i've ended up going on and doing what i've done because i don't it's certainly at that stage in my life i didn't fear failure it just didn't ever enter my head and what i find it very very hard for most yogis to find that balance between striving and wanting to do well but almost the more mm. you practice yoga the more you feel actually no everything's okay <laughs> And and I guess yeah. that's our, our struggle sometimes is often I'm like, actually I've got everything I want. Do mm. I really need to push hard and work hard like and push further? Yeah. Actually, everything's yeah. okay. So how would you find that balance as someone that practices yoga but also is a business owner that then ends up expanding? Yeah, I think like with the yoga philosophy and all of that, like the you know, be happy with where you're at, be content with where you're at. It there's full of contradictions, isn't it? Because mm. it's like don't get attached to the end result. Mm. Um, but then, you know, you're working towards like something in the philosophy. Mm. So it's uh, full of contradictions. But I think for me, it was very organic. It wasn't necessarily, you know, I didn't come with this big business plan to open. At one time I had six studios. Now I, I, we have five. But I, I never came with this big plan. It was very, very organic growth. And um, I think that I get bored really easily. And I like to have new, I like I like to do new things. I like projects, whether that's a house project, I've done up this house that I live in. Um, somebody came around the other day and they were like, was it loads of work? And I was like, 
well, it took a few months, but it didn't feel like work. Mm. And she was like, would you do it again? And I was like, I'd do it tomorrow. Like, <laughs> you know, I like a project. So it never, ever, ever felt like work. It didn't even really feel like, um, you know, being in business, really. It was just just something very organic. And um, I was, I, I'm not actually attached to, to, I was never attached to the financial part. It wasn't about the numbers, like, the profit is never about that that's made me think slightly oddly and it's like tangent that we always say you shouldn't compare your life to others for many reasons mm. but also when you compare someone's journey you have to factor in their personality type yeah. and someone could have gone on that exact same journey as you in that exact same path the exact same success but they might have hated it every step of the way and saw mm. every day of it as hard work. And externally, it would appear ex exactly the same path. But mm. someone could have had such a <laughs> worse experience. Yes. And we do need yeah, to factor... Yeah, I mean, it, exactly. That's such a good point. And, you know, it just never, ever felt like work. Mm. And it still doesn't feel like work. Is that... I, don't, I don't get stressed, like, mm. about it. I just genuinely don't. Like, <laughs> That's so nice. Is that any... I mean, I don't do social media... Like, I get someone to do it, obviously. That's, but probably, that's probably quite clever. Uh, in terms of ways to avoid stress in your life, Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. We were talking about this today, weren't we? Just blast up social media. Is there anything that you would do differently, Ali? Looking back, is there anything you would change or are there any regrets along the way? That's a really good question. Um, I would say um, no, really. Amazing. I, honestly, I would say not. Um it's kind of put me on the spot because I'm trying to think, but I, I don't think I regret anything. I, I feel like what maybe has happened that I feel proud of is that I have very good relationships with the people that have always worked for me. And I, you know, we're still friends. I know I haven't seen you, Adam, for a long time, but, 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 you know, I class you as a friend and, and you work, worked at Yoga Haven and, I see what you're doing and so proud of you. And I think that hopefully I've been quite grounded because I'm not attached to maybe the very driven business side. It's just something happened organically. And and I feel like um, I've been really lucky with the people who have come into my life and been part of the community and the teachers. And, you know, it's 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 just been really wonderful to be like have this community. Yeah. And that is very rare in in a city mm. isn't it to have community i think it's quite rare in the mm. uk full stop and the bigger the city is the harder it is to have community like mm. in, when i teach mm. around yeah. europe uh, and it's a smaller studio let's say everyone mm. knows each other everyone's hanging out everyone's going for coffee afterwards yeah. and that's really uh that's really really rare you know and the teachers generally like ships in the night like you mm. see names on the schedule you've got no idea who anyone is in the bigger studios yeah, uh, but it's hard. No, it, it... I feel like we're a family, and like I saw, I actually saw lovely Nick from Hot Pod, yeah, um, at Elodie's wedding, and I haven't seen him for ten years, and he's obviously gone on to do so well, and um, obviously worked at Yoga Haven and did the Yoga Haven teacher training, and um, it was so wonderful to see him, and it's like I still have those bonds with people like yourself, like that I just don't see, and you know, um, did you know I got I got diagnosed with breast cancer? Yes. Yeah, so when that happened in my life, which is four and a half years ago, and I'm good, I'm healthy and nearly at the five-year remission thing, um, when that happened, you suddenly have this like very clear perspective about life. And apart from obviously my family being at the top, the most important thing in my life after that was was the Yoga Haven community and the people that, that worked there and you know, practice there. And it was it was very obvious that that is something very deep in my heart that I'm just so grateful for. Mm. That's lovely. Is, Lucky. Is, is Nick still really handsome? <laughs> He's got a big beard. I didn't recognise him. I had to look to him. He was like, Ali? I was like, who are you? Oh, you? <laughs> yeah. He's, but yeah, but he's that's handsome. wonderful to have to, to build something like that, that in those in those moments, you didn't think actually... I hate it. I want to quit. Because that happens to a lot of people, don't they? When they have these, yeah. these kind of life-affirming experiences, they think actually, my life. I'm wasting my time. I need to leave all of this stuff behind and sell the company. No. Yeah, yeah. I didn't feel any of that because I'm just I'm blessed, aren't I? I'm just blessed. I'm just so, so honoured and blessed to be able to still be 
doing it and um yeah you know and it, the other thing was like i'm so lucky to have crystal as my business partner mm. so crystal owns some of part of yoga haven with me and like we've been friends we met on the beach in brighton like i don't know 19 years ago or something mm-hmm. and we're in business together we're like sisters and we are so close and it's such a beautiful pure friendship and business relationship and i i'm just so lucky to have her and that's very unique i think to have been because we opened clapham what 2011 2010 2011 and um i've worked with her since then and um yeah i'm I'm really blessed to have her in my life what do you put down kind of your nature to and your easygoingness because yeah that is that is a big part of who you are that you don't give off any kind of stressy vibes you're quite easygoing and you attract those people what do you put that down to have you always been that way you should see me when i'm shouting at my two and a half year old (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i do have the fire as well right i have the fire i i i I, look i'm i don't know i i am a pretty easygoing person um i guess that i've got the risk-taking confidence that my dad imparted on me and I had a very very laid-back gentle Irish mother um and I and I you know I lost them a long long time ago to cancer as well and I guess that um yeah that's I was very fortunate to have really wonderful parents yeah just to backtrack a little bit a question that I was uh, interested to know your views on you said that you uh, took your teacher training after just three months of practicing so what have your views on that change if someone was coming to practice at your studio wanted to do a training after three months would you advise them not to and practice a little bit longer or would you just tell them to yeah. go for it I mean that was a very different time where there were not like there was no such thing as yoga. well I don't think yoga alliance was around then <clears throat> and certainly there was no such thing as a 200 hour thing that yoga alliance just made up and um you know they're not a governing body and people think they are and it's misleading but there was no there was no sort of rules or regulations around doing teacher training at that time 20 21 years ago um or how when was it that i did like longer than that wasn't it 22 years ago um now i would say now quite honestly I think on our website, it might say, make sure you've been practicing for a year or two. But the reality is if somebody practices every day for three months and gets really into it and reads all the books, why can't they do a teacher training? If somebody's been practicing it for eight years, never read a book, does a class like once every, I don't know, couple of months, doesn't Mm. take it seriously, I, I I mean, yes, we do sort of say you need to have 12 months experience, but the, but the reality is um, I don't I don't think you can 100% say you can't come because you've only been doing it three months if they've really, really been into it for, for three months, you know. There's, there is so much nuance to it, isn't there? It's, it, it can't mm. be it can't be drawn down to numbers. And it's the same with teachers. You know, some places yeah. will say, you know, you can only teach for we're only going to have teachers that have taught for three years or five years or 10 years mm. and you will lose some good people through the net like it is safe to some degree but you you will lose some good teachers with those kind of policies yeah. and i remember when i when i was five years into teaching you know some teachers would look down on me slightly They'd be like, well you mm. haven't been teaching long enough so, but, mm. but i've been teaching 26 classes a week for five years and i half the weekends in a year i've been teaching international workshops like I've probably done a lot more. I've probably taught a lot more yeah. yoga than you in yeah. more circumstances that requires me to be better in that if I'm not good, people won't come and I lose loads of money. And yeah, yeah I, I, I had that judgment quite a bit. Well, it's you, funny, isn't it? There's a lot of egos. But you know how I met my lovely Leon? So this is funny because Leon, Holly, I don't, I don't know if you know, but um, Leon's sport was the 10 meter platform diving. So he he did the Tom Daly event and he's a sil- silver medalist. And to be a diver, you've got to be really gymnastic. You hold, you know, handstands at the edge of the 10 meter platform, super, super, super gymnastic, flexible, strong. And he, uh, after he retired, because in 2008, he he hung up his budgie, budgie smugglers mm-hmm. and he, he was told like, don't do any diving whatsoever 
take up yoga or Pilates and he Pilates for him was a little slow at the time. He took up yoga and he got into Bikram yoga in London and they refused to sign his form. I think you were meant to be practicing for like six months or a year. I can't remember the exact numbers, but, but because he hadn't been practicing that amount of time, they said, no, we can't sign your form. You can't go to the Bikram training because by this time there was some kind of, you know, regulation. So he he was like, well, actually, I'm probably better than anybody in the room here. So I'm going to do some kind of teacher training. And then somebody mentioned Yoga Haven. And 13 years ago, in January, just gone, 13 years ago, he came on one of my trainings. And then we fell in love and we've been together ever since. Isn't that funny? Oh, I love that. So there you go. But that was an example of like, you know, he did it every day for a good few months and like to be told, yeah, you're not good enough, you know. But I guess the caveat, just like as a public service announcement, I would say to to the average person, I'd say make sure you've done a fair amount of yoga Mm. and, and also done like workshops, like try to expand your knowledge through workshops and like, maybe some retreats etc i think p- part yeah. of it is to build your knowledge part of it is to realize exactly what kind of training you might want to do because if, if you just go to the first training you find then maybe you end up in like some crazy forest training which could be yeah, good yeah. for some people but <laughs> good for a very small amount of people <laughs> or yeah. you know etc et et and you, or you end up with a teacher and I, i've seen that lots of times where people have done training they've just jumped on the training and the yeah. teachers are vastly different to anything they've ever practiced. And I think it's making sure you get to experience at least a little bit of who is teaching the training or at least practice with some people they've been trained by. Yeah, absolutely. However, I mean... would you say an extension of that with the 200 hour, it doesn't really matter that much because it's stage one. And then stage mm, two yeah. is then doing more teaching Then after maybe a thousand hours of teaching and then maybe doing training further training yeah yes it's the foundation isn't it like the basic like first course that you do and and then from that you go on and do your yin or your yoga therapy or your rocket or whatever so yeah i agree with what you're saying let's talk so after your breast cancer and the treatment from that then then you you decided you wanted a little baby you wanted a baby in the world no 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 so we had already been trying for a baby and we had been doing IVF mm. and we had little, you know, did the whole frozen embryo thing. And then dagger in the heart. Um, sorry, you've got breast cancer. So I was in the body holiday, actually, you know, we put your name forward for that. Didn't we? Leon? Oh yeah. In St. Lucia. Yeah. We'd, yeah. Love, we'd love to have gone. Unfortunately, I think oh, it, it, it timed with Holly being pregnant. Yeah. Uh, and then now they don't let baby, obviously don't let babies. Yeah babies come and we are uh, yeah mm. we want we want to make sure we can be with sunny yeah, every opportunity yeah yeah, yeah yeah well i was on i go there every december because leon delivers beach foot and um and i found a little lump tiny little thing it was in my armpit just kind of where the breast tissue meets the armpit so low armpit and i just like instinctively kind of new I I suppose but then your ego gets in the way and you're like oh it's nothing but I went to have it checked out and then um they said initially I think they were really short staff that day I just went to the NHS that time and they said oh I think it's okay come we'll make you another appointment come back and it put my mind at ease so I missed the next appointment because I was in San Francisco in the red uh forest you know doing some medicinal journeys (laughs) And um, I um, missed that second appointment. And then I noticed that it grew a little bit, but we're still talking like millimeters. So I went back, then I I have private health care because I'm a believer in if you can afford to, you you should and take the pressure off the NHS and all of that. And I went straight through the private health care system and they were like, we're really sorry, you've got breast cancer. And at the time I had like a virus, not like a cold and a cough, but I felt quite tired and not quite right in my body and I was like oh this is what's happening because I'd had it for like three weeks so I just like wrongly um believed that oh I'm sick because it's breast cancer and it it, three days honestly I thought my life is over I'm gonna die I had three days the first three days of being told that that I had breast cancer I thought because my parents had died 
a long time ago from cancer, very close together. Oh, this is my time. I'm I'm going to die of it. And, you know, and then I went to see the oncologist and he was like, you found it really early. There's really great survival rates. And, you know, it was a really deep experience. And after that three days, I had much more positive uh, outlook. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of, not I not breezed it, but the I had radiotherapy. The the hard part was the hormone drugs that I was on for um three years, which after three years I chose to come off. And that was really difficult for me because it really messed with my hormones and it sent me a bit crazy. It's like having PMT times a hundred every day. Mm-hmm. And that that was the hardest part. But um I digressed a little bit, but but we'd already started IVF when I got told I had breast cancer. So I then thought, oh well, I'm never going to be a mom because you're not meant to really carry a baby, ideally, if you've had a hormone-driven cancer because of your hormones in your system. So I spoke to the oncologist about it and and he said, if you're still thinking of doing it, then you you really want to use a surrogate. But at that time, I wasn't ready. So I left it for a couple of years and just thought, well, I'm not going to do that. Didn't know anything about it. And then I was with two um, friends of mine who are a married gay couple, and they have had two children through surrogacy. And they really encouraged Leon and I to do it. And Ziggy was actually born through surrogacy. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing journey. So that was the story. Yeah. So, yeah, if anyone listening, has, I mean, it's a deep experience by being diagnosed with cancer. So I'm aware that if somebody listening that's happened to them, it's a, it's a really, really scary, scary place. So, you know, it's hard to talk about it all on a short podcast. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I'm I'm always here if anyone ever wants to talk about that or needs support. Oh, thank you. And surrogacy so too. It's really kind. You know? Yeah, it's not something people really talk about, no. surrogacy at all. I think, I think Holly found yeah. with the miscarriage, actually... Holly did a, like a lovely post about it, a lovely piece of writing. I think she wrote for a magazine, and just so many people came forward Reached saying out, they've yeah. experienced it too, and had never spoke about it. Mm, and it's just this weird yeah. thing with 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 pregnancy. Everyone just speaks about like the perfect pregnancy. The per- yeah. it's, all, it's all easy. As you, like as a teenage boy, you're almost taught. You know, if you don't wear a condom once, you're getting everyone pregnant. Yeah, that's what you're <laughs> taught point. in school, yeah. aren't you? And then, then it's then yeah. you find out it's actually can be really, really difficult, and you, you never, you never yeah. get taught that until yeah, you're on the journey really yourself. So, thank you so much for sharing that story. With yeah, us. no, I mean it's good to share, isn't yeah. it? Because you know, when I just really wasn't open to that idea initially, and then, but when you don't have another choice, then you you open your mind and your heart to something new and to do something a different way, and. Mm. I guess I, I've always kind of been into doing things a different way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's more and more kind of growing in popularity in America, that's for sure. But over here, it's still not something that's spoken about that much. Uh, this might be a weird question, but did you find it challenging or was it a, a really beautiful experience or how, how was it? We were so blessed. So we were so blessed because once I made this decision to do it, I was like, how am I going to find a surrogate? Like there's <laughs> loads of people in my position, right? Loads of people that have had cancer and can't carry a baby and, and all of that. And I was, I was just sort of feeling a little bit hopeless, but then I've got this crazy determined personality so i was like this is going to happen and a friend of mine my my the guy that who encouraged me to do it in the first place said put yourself on this like international website and i think i put a picture of me and leon with our dog dexter and a really really wonderful lady called marielle contacted us and she said oh i happen to be in london at the weekend and i'm meeting different intended parents do you want to meet so i was like yeah sure and it was in Leon, the fast food uh, restaurant mm. in Victoria Station. And as I walked up the stairs, because Leon and I were coming, my Leon, <laughs> were mm. coming to meet her at Leon, but we were coming from two different directions. So I was there before him. And I walked up the stairs at the back of Victoria Station and I looked through the glass and it was quite busy. And I knew instantly it was her. And by the end of that, like, our conversation that we had, she was meeting other parents, intended parents. And I knew that it was going to work out. I just knew. And we walked away, Leon and I, and we were like, it's going to be difficult to connect 
with somebody how we just connected on that level that kind of energetic level you know with other people I just I just kind of felt like it fitted into place and we had such a positive experience with her she's an incredible woman she did it altruistically because they do not get paid very much at all oh really surprising yeah surprising it was like fifteen thousand pounds which is nothing that's kind of the going rate um and she um had had three boys she's got three wonderful boys she um yeah she she wanted a natural birth and that's what we had and of course it was the pandemic so we were told you can't go to the hospital so we had to get a lawyer and we had to yeah we had to go i mean it was quite barbaric right women giving birth in the pandemic it was that's a whole other conversation everything was yeah we we, the experience we had it wasn't that we had an experience here holly if you can i say about the act yeah oh well yeah i mean i i would have we would have had a COVID baby, but I had a miscarriage and then uh, an ectopic pregnancy, which I'd originally thought was a second miscarriage. Then it turned out to be, it ruptured inside me a month later. Um, so I ended no up in, in A&E when I was teaching my first yoga class back in 2021. But I, I couldn't go in either time. <laughs> yeah, you, I didn't want to And there was one in. moment where... Horrible. We kind of suspected, like Holly was just crippled in pain. Yeah. And the, oh. and the ambulance. So I called the ambulance, etc. I had to mm. literally carry her downstairs into the oh. ambulance. Then the doors were shut. For a long time, weren't for they? For about an hour. And I, <laughs> wow. Like the ambulance was just there and I could tell it was something wow. really serious and the ambulance oh, just didn't scary. move. And then it, then eventually it drove off. And I didn't hear for Holly, from Holly for 12 hours. Brutal. Yeah. Is. And, and I was like, if it's a rupture, and I was looking at if it's a topic rupture, like the chance of death is, oh, yeah, it's, it's actually quite... is not insignificant. horrendous. Yeah. What a traumatic experience yeah well yeah i mean crazy things were happening weren't they but you got in you got in in the end you got into the hospital well so we got um a lawyer and um we we contacted the hospital and in the end they were supportive and they let me in the room because i wanted to be the first one to have ziggy in my arms i wanted to cut the cord i wanted him skin on skin and all of that happened and she was incredible giving birth to him like oh makes me feel really emotional um but she's, yeah, she knows her body and she knew what she was doing. A little bit of gas and air completely. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. It couldn't have been any more beautiful and um, magical and positive. And then, um, so I had Ziggy and then the lovely midwife said, I'm going to go and find your partner because he wasn't really <laughs> meant to come in the room. But they went and found him and they brought him in and he just burst out crying and then he held Ziggy and yeah, it's really beautiful, beautiful oh. experience. So I'm forever grateful to Marielle. We call her Maz. And Maz. Um, yeah, we're still in touch. We, you know, we send pictures and videos all the time and Christmas, birthdays, all of that. She'll always be in our lives, I think. What an amazing thing to do for people. Mm-hmm. Incredible. To yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. is, is that process like managed? Is there like a, not a governing body, but is there, are there, yeah, is, so- are, are there rules to it? Yeah, I mean, um, you're not um, meant to actually be giving people money. So it's like you pay for their expenses. Mm. So the money that she got monthly was for expenses um, for her to be able to kind of do it. So there there are laws around it. Um, And the clinic that we used in London, you you have counselling and, Mm. you know, they, they obviously test everything and kind of psychologically test you and you know all of that stuff I, this is one it's like a weird question are you protected if for some reason you know they that person like leaves the country or like do you, is, is there any kind of like legal yeah, protection so it's 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 quite archaic that the first um i think it was the first six weeks she could have is she now genetically it's not it wasn't her baby she was the vehicle the yeah, oven mm-hmm. right so and Leon was the biological father, but because um, she gave birth to him, she was seen as the biological mother, even though they were not, she wasn't genetically attached to the baby in any way because we put the frozen embryo, mm-hmm. embryo inside her. So, um, But the first six weeks, she could have said, I'm going to keep the baby. <gasps> oh, yeah, because oh she was, she, you're seen as the biological mother. And I think it's six weeks later... Um, I was allowed to then adopt Ziggy 
And I mean, had it have ever gone to court, Leon was the biological father. She was not. She was not genetically involved in, you know, the making of little mm. Ziggy. And so, so we probably would have ended up winning that. But we had, we didn't even have to go there in our minds. Like we had complete trust in each other, the three of us. Yeah. That we just, you know, it was just plain sailing. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And you are pretty much three years on from us. So, any, what's what would be your best advice to new parents? <laughs> Conscious parenting, like yeah. I'm trying to do that, and don't be on your phone. Yes, mm. yeah. You know, like don't try and do both. You won't be very good at responding to emails. You won't do your work well or parent well if you're trying to do both at the same time. Mm. So either go to work mm. and you know, baby goes to nursery or have someone look after them or, or parent, mm -hmm. don't, don't be on your phones. Don't, you know, I'm, I have to remind myself of that. I have to remind Leon of that. We're all addicted to our devices, mm -hmm. but you cannot work and look after your child. That's really, really That's good advice. No. Yeah. You also can't tube travel and work either. It's not, <laughs> I think if you, like, if you work, you need to work. I think, I think so yeah. many of us waste our time trying to do work in inefficient circumstances mm. whether that be on the tube on a bus whether you're petting a dog walking a dog looking after mm. your baby uh, it's just <laughs> not a good way to work is it it's just being really no. intentional with your time isn't it yeah it's important isn't it mm. so yeah that would be my advice and it's i i mean i i for me personally it's got better and better like it's really challenging with these like you know tantrums and stuff but it's hilarious because they're they're finding their boundaries exactly. and they're like asserting themselves mm -hmm. and it's and it's cute and you have to have your boundaries because i'm such a softie right mm -hmm. and i've had to learn to be like when i've said no hold that boundary mm -hmm. don't say no and then because he goes on and on and on say okay then mm -hmm. that's no that's not good parenting is it because I, i'm naturally like that i'm naturally like no oh okay then but actually you can't do that it's confusing and then they're like well there's no boundary there but no doesn't mean no then does it do you so think i'm learning that right now it, as, as a long 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 term yoga practitioner do you th mm. what do you think are the well it's hard to actually answer this question because you haven't lived a life without yoga as it were mm. but do are there any notable effects that yoga has had on you do you think are there any times that you think actually that's probably yoga has really helped there i mean um i think lots of periods of my life it's been massively helpful and the, the i think the thing that springs to mind is that when i lost my parents so close together from cancer like it was about a year apart. And I remember literally burying my mum and going to work at Yoga Haven in Birmingham the next day because I had to teach a class and I showed up and I taught the class. Mm. And without that community at the time and having yoga in my life at, at that time of like adversity and like sadness, um, I'm not sure what I would have done. Mm. Like oh, they carried me. You used to go to Yoga Haven in Birmingham, didn't you? Yeah, that's where I started doing you know, hot yoga. Yeah, that became yeah, my... Yeah, yeah, do you know, do yeah. Do you know what? I initially went there to... Because uh, I'd moved back to Birmingham and you know, I went to the private school and then all everyone else had gone and all my school friends lived in like, the posh areas. So I moved back to Birmingham not knowing anyone, had the charity job, was in my boxing gym uh, every day. And I was mm. like, well, I need to do something different. I need to meet people. Like, I need to maybe even like, meet a girlfriend. Uh, and it was like, shall I do dancing or shall I do more yoga? Because I was doing yoga at home alone. Shall, or shall I, shall I do yoga more formally? So that was my agenda for going to... Mm, yeah. <laughs> for That's going a good to... one, man. It's a great place for men to meet women or men to well, meet I men. Didn't meet, I didn't meet anyone. Well, till a few well, many, years many, later. many years yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so actually, in that, yeah. in that era in Birmingham, there were two fairly well-known teachers that we were practicing together. Well, hmm. there was Amber Vallo. Mm -hmm. Do you know Amber? So mm -hmm. Amber, former former Birmingham Royal Ballet, now works a lot yeah, in yeah, Darba, uh, and then Melissa Wells. Oh, uh, Mel Wells. Mel yeah. Wells, yeah, who's she now did like my teacher training as well. Is that the green or green? Green goddess. You did it. You did and it. We well. didn't. We didn't oh, do trainings sure, together, sorry, but we were both in. We were all in Yoga Haven, Birmingham, practicing. I remember I used to try and compete yeah. with Amber, not knowing that she was a ballet dancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Mel did the training as well a bit after you, I think. 
And you did it in what, 2012? Maybe, yeah. Yoga Haven really, teacher training? Yeah, yeah, I'm really bad I at years. I think Mel was a couple of years later. I've been doing some sound healing in her mastermind, actually, Mel, Mel Wells. Oh, have you? Yeah. Let's talk about. Oh. Let's talk some quick fires now because we are eating your evening away. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, okay. Quick fires, right? So, what are you reading at the moment? Acid for the Children by Flea, the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer. Oh, amazing! Bass player, bass player, bass player. It's brilliant. So, check, is he encouraging giving acid to kids? <laughs> he did a lot of acid as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Not encouraging it at all. Oh, His yeah. story is incredible. Incredible story. Um, yeah, so he, he had a really challenging, um, difficult, slightly neglectful childhood. So he, he was literally doing acid as a, as a, like, I don't know, 12 year old or whatever. Oh and then he met Anthony Kiedis. They were at school together and they were wild kids, wild kids. It's a great story, but they were musicians and Fleas was a jazz musician and he's done like quite a lot of philanthropic, philanthropic work in LA trying to um, encourage children from underprivileged backgrounds to get into music mm. and jazz music and stuff. He's, he's cool. His, his story's kind of sad, isn't it? Because he was like, he was never giving it, from what I understand, not given any attention by parents. But then he realised no, when he has no. the instrument, whatever it was, trombone or whatever loud instrument he had, people yeah, listen, trombone, yeah. people listen to yeah. him. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that was yeah. his only way of getting attention. It's quite heartbreaking, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. sad. And then quick far from me. I, what is, what would I say is a quick fire? This is a, I, quick, You're quick, just going to wing it then. What, what no, is? Like quick firing uh, late at night. Like context to listeners, we've had a long day. We've got our baby. We've been traveling yeah. over the weekend. Nothing, nothing, nothing's quick firing for me at the moment. Come on, but worry. what would be your biggest tip to anyone thinking about whether they should embark on a teacher training or not? Oh, well, you know what? I always, I'm so inspired by the people that come on my teacher training. And, I think my biggest tip is if you've been thinking about teacher training, you're probably ready to do it. Don't let fear hold you back. Like there's never the right time. Um, you are flexible enough. You are mm -hmm. strong enough. You are going to get on with the people on the course because they're all so like-minded. Like these humans that I have the honor, like I don't teach that much in studio at the moment. But I teach and I'm present on all of my teacher trainings a little bit. And in the uh, the residential weeks that we do, I'm always there for the whole week. But I try to be present on all of them. And I absolutely think it's an honor and a privilege to be part of their journey. And I'm always a little bit jealous that they're at that beginning part mm. because they're about to, you know, embark on this like life of yoga on and off the mat. And um I've been brought to tears a lot recently by the students on my training and the, their stories and their challenges that they've overcome. And yeah, I've just been like blown away by some of them. And um, yeah, just just do it. Just stop thinking mm -hmm. about it. Just do it, man. And can you tell us where to tell people where to find you and where to find what you do? Oh, go to yogahaven.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a teacher training page on there. I also obviously have a Yoga Haven Instagram, which is my normal at Yoga Haven, but I've got an at Yoga Haven uh, underscore teach Instagram, which um, I don't put too much effort in, but there is lots of testimonials and all of that. And um, yeah, just like look up Yoga Haven. And it's looking really good at the moment. The Yoga Haven Instagram is looking really nice at the moment. Like Whoever's doing that, they're doing a nice oh, job. She's a lovely girl called Amy. Yeah, she's, doing a good she's job. really lovely. So yeah, you know, it's not my bag, right? Social media. I feel like you know, I'm, I'm. We're all busy, aren't we? But I'd, I'd rather be out walking with my dogs than mm. scrolling on Instagram. And mm. and I, I do do a bit of voluntary work for a Greyhound Protection UK, and that's mm. my karma yoga. Mm. And I, I walk the rescued. We, we rehome that charity rehomes greyhounds from 16,000 greyhounds are killed every year from after they've been raced racing. Mm. Yeah, it's a big number and they just shoot them or send them <gasps> to Spain or China. And so Greyhound Protection UK, they um, I, I'm at the West Sussex branch and I um, work there once a week walking all of the dogs. There's like, we've got about 20 dogs right now. And um, and that that's like, yeah, some I'd rather be doing that mm. than than kind of scrolling on 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 the old 
socials. Mm, we get a, a greyhound. I looked at well, our friend just rescued one. And, uh, oh right, well, they're beautiful because they don't need that much exercise. They're People great city they dogs, do. aren't they? Like he's got in, yeah, a, they're, they're... In, in a flat in Bermondsey, and they're near a park. Uh, he's yeah. ve- still muzzled, I think, because she, she yes. right, it's she. The prey drive. Yeah, because she'll kill something. But mm. <laughs> beyond, beyond that, they're really lovely, lovely animals. <laughs> yeah, and lots of them. Lots of them will will get rid of that prey drive with you know rehabilitation. You can, and we have not only. Um, greyhounds there but we have a lot of rescue lurchers Mm. um that get picked up as strays and you know they do a week in the pound and then they're killed so my the people i work for at the charity she'll take some of those when they're about to be put down and we've got some really really beautiful saluki crosses and whippet crosses and some Mm. beautiful dogs so i'm you like a saluki oh they're so Saluki is pretty. Oh, yes. I, desert, I, I love the skinny dogs. dogs. I'm really into the skinny yeah. dogs. So, so there we go, listeners. You can get to a teach training yeah. and do some hot yoga and rescue a greyhound. There you go. That's your, yeah, on exactly. your to-do list for this, for this weekend. <laughs> Thank cool. you so much, Ali. So lovely to see you both. Really, really wonderful. Well done for everything you're doing. So proud of you. Honestly, I'm balanced.